Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Inspire Churches podcast. We're a church in Union City that loves Jesus. Our hope is that you'd be inspired to grow in God's Word as reflected in loving Christ more and more every day. So wherever you are, be a light. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. How y'all doing? Bless. Bless. Hey, there we go. Um, I want to I take a moment before we get into the message. Uh, as some of you may know, um, October is Pastor's Appreciation Month. And so, yeah. And so I, I wanted to take time today to honor the elders of Inspire Church. And I think what I want to do is um, I want to honor them for all the things that you do see and all the things that you don't see. You know, I realized that Inspired Church's eldership was kind of birthed in a pandemic, which means, you know, there was, besides seeing folks on Zoom, there wasn't, you know, this connection and then can we enter back in together? And so there's kind of this, the, the first start of our, the pioneering of our eldership was in a time where our elders couldn't even be among the flock. But I want to honor them for all the things that, that you do see, um, the way that they serve faithfully on teams the way that they participate in the life of the church, the way that they have led small groups, and the way that maybe some of you in here have been pastored or discipled or taken out to eat, or some of you, your marriages have even been cared for because of them. But I also want to honor them for the things that I think the congregation doesn't always see. Uh, the way that they've come alongside Inspire Church to prayerfully discern direction and to carefully speak into vision. I'm, I'm to be honest with you guys, I am so grateful that I don't have to make big decisions by myself. In the first couple of years, I had some folks alongside of me, but it just overwhelmingly felt like how every big decision was falling on my shoulders and it was a heavy burden. I want to honor them for the way they come alongside of Inspire Church to manage our budgets. Uh, when I got involved in church planting and, and becoming a pastor, you think about preaching, you think about counseling, discipling, you don't think about all the business side of things. You don't think about all of the elements of being a part of a startup, a nonprofit, start all of those elements and the crafting of budgets and the stewarding and managing the giving of God's people well. Like I want to honor the elders behind the scenes for being a huge part of that. I want to honor the way that they care for the staff and helping with our payroll. You see, um, for all the things that you do see, I am personally grateful for the hidden loads that they carry that you don't see. And I think sometimes, like no elder is gonna come up here and talk about themselves in that way. And I feel like I need to bring it to light in order for you to truly understand like how blessed we are. And additioning to honoring the way the elders come alongside of Inspire, I wanna take time to personally honor the way they come alongside of me. I'm not sure if you've ever thought about it, but where does a pastor go when they need to receive pastoring? 
Where does a pastor go when he needs prayer or when he's confused? Where does a pastor go when the weights of ministry are weighing him down? Sometimes I think we take that for granted. But for me, one of those places are our Inspire Elders. One of my favorite things about the eldership is that they create regular spaces to check in with me. We'll have Zooms where they just ask me, how are, how are you doing? How's your marriage? And I have to be really honest with you guys. Um, if it wasn't for their willingness to lay down their life in that way, the weights and burdens of lead pastoring would have crushed me and my wife and my family a long time ago. And so I know we are used to honoring senior pastors and I know that I'm loved, but I need today to honor just the un, what I feel like are the unsung heroes. And so I'm just so incredibly thankful for Pastor Roger. I don't even know if he's in the room. I think you guys see his impact. Um, but I'm thankful for um, Pastor Danny. <laughs> Pastor Andy. <laughs> Pastor Jeffrey. And so I, I, just, I just want to extend like my thank you um, for you and your family and um, for what, for what you, you, what we see and what, what maybe some people don't see. I see it. I feel it. And uh, I know in heaven there'll be something <laughs> for y'all um, um, because, of, because of what you do. So um, I just want to honor our, our elders, the elders of this church. And, and I, I'm praying as we continue to move further and further away from kind of being uh, distance because of the pandemic, Lord willing, that we will continue to see just the beauty of what God's doing through the eldership at our church. And so, again, thank you guys both. And I know um, Jeffrey and Carla are sick this morning. I know Pastor Danny and Ophel are celebrating their uh, anniversary. Uh, but nonetheless, I think it, this, is, um, this is, I just definitely wanted to say this from my heart. Amen. And so can we give God a round of applause, just a round of applause for... And I, I think I need to move back a little bit. I think I'm stepping on some lyrics down here. And so, <laughs> it's a little cheat code, just so you know. <laughs> um, but we are going to, uh, if you have your Bibles, we will get to uh, Genesis chapter 2 this morning. Um, for, those of, for those of you who are here for the very first time, welcome. Uh, my name is Philip Muello, lead pastor of Inspire Church. And you are stepping in the middle of, of a sermon series that we have entitled Origins. And if you remember, I've kind of been repeating uh, this quote from an Australian sociologist, uh, and he said that the church in, a, in the West is in trouble because we've forgotten our story. And so we've, we've decided and determined to start at the beginning. And, and we've pledged this entire year to remind you over and over and over and over again to know the story so that you could tell the story. Amen. You know, there's two ways a church grows. Number one, church transfer growth. It's just a bunch of churches trading Christians. Or actually churches that are doing what they're called to do and to be on mission in the world and to tell people the story of our beautiful Savior. 
And I just feel like after six years, we, we have enjoyed this kind of time together. But I know that God is calling some of you, your coworkers, your neighbors, your family members. God is calling you. And some of you feel maybe you're, you're not equipped. And, and, and so throughout this year, we just, we just want to know the story so we can tell the story. And we have a beautiful story to tell. Amen? Amen? In week one of this, of this origin story, we talked about God, the eternal, transcendent creator of the universe. God, the one who has always been. Uh, the, the Christian story that answers the question, where did all of this come from? And we answer the question, God. And I got to be honest, if you're an atheist in this room or, or if, you're a, if you're a naturalist in this room, uh, the way that I apply faith, you apply faith. You have gaps just like I have gaps, except I, I, my gaps are covered by a transcendent God who is eternal. And, and so the question for those who don't believe that a God exists is, well, where did all this come from? And you only have two options, either nothing turned into something. Or you believe that the universe is eternal, which means that your God is the universe. And so we learned in the first week that we serve a God who is always there, who's created all things. In week two, Pastor Roger talked about creation, the, the arena of God's glory. Uh, creation, when you look at the trees, when you look at the sun, the star, the moons, the color, it's the signature of the designer. When you look at the complexities of the universe. And then we moved from creation to humanity, you and I. And we answered the question, what does it mean to be human? Do you remember that? And we answered that question with, to be human is to be made in the image of God. This is our identity. We are made in the image of a transcendent, eternal creator. We have been given dignity, value, and worth because we have been made and we are called to reflect the most worthy of them all. We're made in the image of God. That is our identity. But we don't just have a call to be, but we have a call to do. We are human beings, but in our being, we are called to work. And so we talked about the rhythms of rest and work. Amen? Yeah. Remember, rest is learning to pause and delight in the one who created you. Rest is the ability to say that I am loved and accepted, not for what I do, but because who I am in Christ. But then we don't, it's from that place that we work. And work is hard. And work is service unto the Lord. But we are called to not just be, but to reflect in the earth this creator. And today we are going to move. We're going to commit, continue with this imago day. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? We rest. We work. And today we are going to talk about, we relate relationships relationships. Now, can I just say this about relationships? Nowhere is the brokenness of our humanity made more evident than in relationships. Relationships can be the source of our greatest pain and deepest disappointments. People can bring out of us our biggest insecurities and our greatest anxieties, and yet what can hurt us, God can also use to heal us. Wow. 
Have you ever been hurt by someone and then the Lord sent someone to help heal the hurts? And so what can be a source of sadness, God can also use to be a source of joy relationships. And though sin can distort God's original design for relationships, nothing or no one can take away the fact that we were made for community and that community was created to help us serve the Lord. In fact, you are going to hear me repeat this today. If there's nothing else, community was created to help us serve the Lord. And so with that being said, Let's pray. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate the text as we dive in together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us and giving us the good gift of people that sometimes can also feel difficult. I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would take the text and illuminate it, that you would do what I can't do that everyone would leave this place with a word from you, that we would be edified, encouraged, and even corrected if we need to be. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your words that change hearts and change minds. May you be glorified in everything we say and do this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll have for it, we'll have you, we will have it on the screen for you. Uh, Genesis chapter two. And we are going to be in verses 18 through 25. Now, if you've been with us, you know that we finished Genesis 1 and that we are halfway through Genesis 2. Now, let me just kind of give you a glimpse uh, for those theologians in the room. Genesis 1 is what I would consider what is called kind of a bird's eye view of creation, right? It's just kind of like creation at a glance. It's, it's the summary of creation, and then what happens is we go into Genesis 2 and what was a bird's eye view, a summary, all of, become, all of a sudden becomes focused and we go into the specifics and the particulars. And so for the first half of Genesis 2, this bird's eye view gets focused and then the second half of Genesis 2, we're going to go into the details of day six. And so we get a bird's eye view of all the days and then in chapter two, we get a detailed uh, uh, um, um, rendering of what took place on day six when man was created. That makes sense? It made sense in my head. Hopefully it makes sense for you guys. Genesis 2, 18 through 25 and the word of the Lord reads like this. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. The man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. 
Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were naked and were not ashamed. I have a tall task this morning. Uh, In fact, I have to preach three sermons in one. (laughs) Some of you are like, oh gosh, we're going to be here all day. We're going to do it. I promise we're going to do it well. I was able to do it at nine, so we'll do it at 11. Uh, you know, I, I and, and, you know, it was a good thing that I planned my sermons out now kind of a year in advance, but now with that schedule, I got to stay on the schedule. So it's hard to linger. Obviously, the Holy Spirit can do what he wants, but for the most part, we are definitely going to compact like three different ideas. Like each idea that I'm going to discuss today could really be unpacked by themselves. So I'm going to do my best. Amen. And so here are the three ideas, just so you know ahead of time where we go. Number one, I want to discuss our fundamental need for relationships. Number two, I want to discuss God's divine intention for the creation of woman. And yes, a man is going to attempt to talk about that. But we're going to use the word. And finally, number three, God's design for the institution of marriage. You can see how that's a tall task, right? Like each one of those we can take forever to talk about. And so uh, we got 45 minutes, maybe a little less than that. We're going to make this happen. Amen. Now, despite all the complexities of those three topics, the premise of the story is simple. Man needs help serving the Lord. Like if you don't get anything else from today's text, Get this, man needs help serving the Lord. You're going to hear that repeated over and over again. And so let's talk about our fundamental need for relationships. Well, if you look at Genesis 2.18a, the first part of that verse, God says, it is not good that man should be alone. Now, I want you to picture this. It's day six in creation, and Adam is chilling in his new garden resort. Like, where's your favorite resort, you know? Some of you like to go to Cancun, Cabo, whatever. He is chilling in his favorite garden resort. There's lush vegetation. There's plenty of good food. There's fresh water. There's an abundance of resources. Now, I want you to think about it. Adam was in paradise with God, and there was no evil and no sin, and yet there was still something wrong. You see, for five days, God had created, remember? And, and, And he called the results of all of his creative activity good. But it's in the middle of day six where the writer shocks us. The writer grabs our attention when he records God saying that something is wrong. Something is off. Something is missing. Something is lacking. Something is incomplete. What could possibly be wrong with paradise? Adam is alone. Now, I want to clarify. Let's not reduce the phrase, it's not good that man should be alone, to a romantic sentiment. Right? Or to like a corny Christian pickup line. What's up, girl? <laughs> no good for me to be alone, you know? 
Some of y'all taking notes. No, you're absolutely not. Right. Yes, yes, this story concludes with a marriage. But our fundamental need for fellowship, our fundamental need for friendship, our fundamental need for community comes from the fact that we were all created in the image of God, regardless of whether you're single or married right now. So it's really important for you to tap in here. I want you to remember Genesis 1.26. Like, let's go back. If y'all remember Genesis 1.26. Do you remember as God was about to create the first human beings, do you remember what he said? He said this, let us make man in our image and our likeness. Now, I want to get a little theological here. In all of creation... Day one, two, three, four, five. In all of creation, it's only when God makes man that he reveals his plurality. And we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, right? Throughout every day, we see God singular. Yet on day six, when he makes man, we see God plural. And we even see in this poem or this song in which he breaks out crescendos to talk about the creation of man, we see that humanity plural becomes humanity, I'm sorry, humanity singular becomes humanity plural when the revelation of humanity is in what? Male and female. You see, it's, it's in the creation of humans, we get a glimpse, just a glimpse of God's triune nature. We, we get a clue to the fact that God has eternally existed in three persons in a loving relationship. We, we get a glimpse of himself in conjunction with those whom he created and called to look like him on the earth. Now, I've heard people say, have you been around church folks long enough? You've heard people say this, and maybe you've said this, so this might be a little bit of a correction for you, but I've heard people say, you know, all I need is God. I don't need anybody else. I've seen Christian memes implying, you know, when you go to church, you only go for God, right? Like, I'm like, yeah, you tell those people who've been abused, you know, get to church. You don't go for them, you go for God, right? Implying, implying that, that, that as long as I got God, I'm good. And, and I understand the sentiment. And can I say this? We, only God can provide redemption. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody else. And, and can I say this? We do need to depend on God when people hurt us. Yet, here was Adam in the garden with God and it was not good enough. I'm not saying this to be controversial. Like, these are not my words. Like, God said it. Y'all remember, like this was God's diagnosis. It is not good that man should be alone. You see, when we are alone, we are incomplete. When we are alone, we are not properly reflecting the image of a triune God. We were made for community because God is community. We were made to love and be loved because God is love. You see, man needs help serving the Lord. Now, here's the problem. Sin distorts what God created.
creates. Sin distorts community, amen? If you have a pulse, you probably should say amen. Right? Can I say this? Sin not only distorts it, but Satan attacks it. Satan hates the community of believers. So here's what I want to do. I want to take a moment, kind of go on a, maybe a discipleship detour, and I want to identify two distortions of community that sin creates, okay? Now, this is going to be an oversimplification, okay? So like, don't walk out of here like, how come you didn't talk about this, you know? Uh, you know, you could probably write some more stuff. You can add your testimony to this, like super oversimplification, but I just want to tell you in my own experience, I've been pastoring here at Inspired for six years. I've been pastoring longer than that, maybe 15 years, and I've been going to church since I was zero, okay? And yes, literally. My mom was carrying me, and I was in the church. Amen. And so there's just some things that I've seen, okay? So can I oversimplify what I consider to be two distortions of community, just the way sin attacks community? The, The first one is, what I would, one distortion I would call is independence. Again, oversimplification, okay? Um, and I've seen this distortion manifest itself in a few different ways. Let me explain, explain. We turn to independence as a reaction to pain. Or maybe I can say it this way, in order to bring more justice, because we've been sinned against. If I say, if I just leave it at reaction to pain, it may kind of mean it's your fault. But if you've been sinned against, you've been victimized. Are you with me? So we put up walls. I'm the only one. We, we walk around guarded. We allow bitterness to grow. And you know, some of this was even passed down to us by our parents who were hurt. Like some of you walk around with a script that says, trust no one. Some of you walk around with with this script in your head that says, "Don't, don't tell anybody anything, don't trust anybody. And it wasn't even you, it was actually a parent that poured that into you because they were sinned against. Some of us, we, we, you know, it's even church. We kind of have a, 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 an idea of what that is because of what our parents told us. And so here's what happens. This distortion causes us at times to deny God's good gift of community and to depend on ourselves what God intended to provide to others. Another way that I think sin distorts community through independence is, is the influence of culture, right? Country song or rap song or everything in between, right? There's this glamorization of doing it yourself, being independent. You don't need nobody. Or how about the libertarian political philosophy that promotes individual rights over the common good. So we limit charity 
and we expect everyone to pick themselves up by the bootstraps. Have we heard that? Some of you say that. And can I tell you the harm in that? When you tell someone to pick themselves up by their bootstraps, you are ignoring the fact that even the most well-to-do people in our society had help. Somewhere down the line, they had help. And even if they didn't, you're ungrateful to the providential sovereignty of God who made all that happen. We can ignore it all we want, but sin distorts, amen? Arrogance, pride, pain, suffering, abuse, woundedness, hurt. At the end of the day, we can all agree Satan attacks and sin distorts this blessing that God has for us. Another way that sin distorts, and I'm going to swing the pendulum a little bit to the opposite side, from independence to codependence. Now, can I just just say this? It's kind of cool now to take like therapeutic terms and like throw them around, right? And so like, you know, we, we kind of flippantly use terminology that really is, has deeper meaning to it. Now, in one way we trivialize it, but another way I'm also kind of happy that it's mainstream now. Because there was a time where like therapy and counseling, all that was like, consider, you don't do that, you know? But there, but there is this, there is this overuse of it. So again, I'm oversimplifying here. So would you forgive me? But here's what I just want to explain about this distortion of community. It's the opposite of independence. It's overdependence. If you think about it, it's an idolatry of relationships. And as we learned about idols in the summer, it's you looking to a relationship or a community to save you and give you what only God can give you. And this can happen in any relationship. It can be with your husband or your wife. It, it, it could be with a significant other. It could be with a family member. It could be with a friend. It could even be with, in our church. Yeah. Yeah. Our small groups, our church leaders. We are looking to them to give us what only God can give us. And here's the tragedy of it all. Not only will the weight of that expectation crush them, but it'll crush you when they can't live up to it. Because they're not God. And because they're sinners. And I got to shout out Pastor, Pastor Roger, because as, uh, and Kat, as we were kind of talking about this, even this week, I needed community <laughs> to get this. But, but instead of our sinful distortions of independence and codependence, I believe God's original intention for relationship in paradise is best described as interdependence. Here's the point of the text. Man needs help serving the Lord. Man was placed in the garden by God to what? To work it and to keep it. That's ministry. God assigned man with a task, but he can't do it alone. And here's what I love about the story. God knew this before Adam did. Like if you read the text in chapter 2, 18 through 20, you remember that God, before he creates woman, you know what he does? He brings Adam to a place and then he, he assigns Adam with the job to name all the animals. 
And I want you to know, like, Adam means from the ground. That's where we get Adam from. So when he's naming the animals, he's giving them names that kind of describe them. And so this naming process involves Adam inspecting and then naming. Now, why did God do that? Well, as Adam is inspecting and naming, Adam comes to the realization that there was none like him. There is no one compatible intellectually, no one compatible spiritually, no one compatible physically. And so Adam comes to the realization that God already has, that he is alone. And it's in this context for which the Bible introduces us to the creation of woman. And so I want to talk about God's divine intention for creating woman. And we can't generalize it. We can't minimize it. We can't trivialize it. We can't hide from it. When God saw that man was alone, his solution to the problem was the creation of woman. Somebody said... Paradise was incomplete until God made a woman. That might be a bumper sticker for somebody. <laughs> it's like God like, looked down and saw a man by himself and was like, eh, that's not a good idea. <laughs> it's probably not, probably not a good idea. <laughs> if you're my wife, you're probably like, yeah, it's true. So God creates woman as what the Hebrew calls the Ezer Konegdo, or what our translation in the ESV says, helper fit for him. Ezer Konegdo, helper fit for him. Now, can I give you a word of caution? It is disrespectful to bring your cultural hangups to an ancient text. Like, you know, it's rude for Americans to visit a foreign land and act like they should be like us. So you can't go into an ancient text and think that it needs to fit all of the way that your culture has defined words and all that other stuff. The Hebrew word ezer konegdo does not imply her to be man's slave or secretary. And though a woman may choose to work in the home, and that is an honorable thing, and though a man may choose to work in the home and that is an honorable thing, Ezer Konegdo is not a proof text for a woman to stay in the kitchen. Yeah. Old Testament professor Carmen Joy Imez points out that Ezer occurs 90 times in the Old Testament. And for half of those times, 45 times, it refers to an ally coming alongside of someone in battle. And the other 45 times, it refers to God himself. As the helper of Israel. This is not demeaning or degrading. This is not frailty or weakness. In fact, this is unheard of in any ancient text to refer to a woman in this way. You see, the divine intention for woman as the Ezer Konegdo is to be man's counterpart, his necessary ally, his companion and partner designed to come alongside of him to help him serve the Lord. If you're married, I wonder if that's how you describe your marriage. If you're single, I wonder if that's how you describe your friendships. 
Listen, though marriage may positively influence your social life, your financial status, and your self-esteem, though marriage may provide for you some kind of sexual satisfaction, do you look at your spouse and does your spouse look at you as someone who primarily desires to help you serve the Lord? And before you tag your spouse, ask yourself that question. Like, don't think, well, I wish she would help me serve the Lord. Or I wish he would help me. Like, today is the day that you take an inward look first. And you say, do I, how do I help my spouse serve the Lord? What's kind of sad is, we have a, a lot of miserable Christian marriages. You wanna know why? Because we have shallow priorities. You, you got into your marriage for all the wrong reasons. If the primary purpose of your marriage is not about helping one another to serve the Lord, then something needs to change. Like even with like marriage counseling, right? And we're very big advocate of that. Pre-marriage, after marriage, before marriage. Jamila and I regularly sit with Pastor Sherry. It's just an incredible time. But do you know, like sometimes we'll even pursue that and it'll be just out of selfish ambition. We just want everything to be better. Like we, we kind of make an idol out of our marriage. But I want you to know that there's something transcendent. It's not, marriage isn't just essentially the fulfillment of your needs. It, it's supposed to take you beyond your needs and into a place in which you are helping each other serve the Lord. At least according to the text. Now, I don't want to get all sappy, and by my marriage, by no stretch of the imagination, is perfect. We can go to lunch and talk about that with my wife if you want to. But this does make me think how blessed I am to have Jamila as my wife. Um, I often compare her presence in my life to the presence of the Holy Spirit. Right? Like, in fact, in the Greek, the Holy Spirit is the parakletos. Right? He comes alongside. He's the counselor and the helper and the comforter. Are you with me? And, and, and like the Holy Spirit, my wife has been a source of love and comfort and encouragement. And like the Holy Spirit, she's been a source of conviction and correction. Right? Like her birthday just passed. Or like birthdays or anniversaries, like we have this like post culture now. And you know, you're kind of like, oh, what do I say? You know, you spend like three hours trying to make sure you say the right words. And you know what I mean? Like, maybe it's just me. Maybe I got the hang up, but like that's kind of the world that we live in, right? Or like there's a running joke. Like I bought my wife the same card two years in a row. And the funny part is I was at Target the other day because her birthday just passed and I picked up a card. I was like, this is really good. And something inside me was like, that's the one you got her. And I remember the time I bought my wife the car for the second time. She's like, really, babe? I said, but babe, it's true. Like, I, when I pick out cards, like, it's not fake. Like, I look for a card that really describes. I do. I really do. I probably It's like, that's my thing. But the, the blessing 
that she is. You know, many times I kind of refer to her like she speeds me up when I'm going too fast. She slows me down. She slows me down when I'm going too fast, speeds me up when I'm going too slow. Right? And there's this, there's this dynamic that we have, too, in that, like, I'm never going to railroad her. She's never going to railroad me with, like, the will of God. Like, you've got to do it. And that I, in my heart of heart, like, I believe that if God is calling us to do something and she's in disagreement, then we're to continue to prayer until the Lord speaks. And I know there's been some controversy and some debate about complementarianism and egalitarianism. And if you don't know what that is, ask somebody if you do know what that's been you know where the role of women and this, and this church is complementarian and so on and so on. but can I just say this like leadership in the scripture is not is not a a master slave it's leadership is service like if you really want to look at leadership it's Christ like laying down his life like washing feet and so men kind of want to well you know or you know do what the man says that's what the bible says you know pastor like the reality is it's like to be a lead in your relationship is to go first you're the first to repent you're the first to ask for forgiveness you're you're the first to bless you're the first to sacrifice you're the first have you ever got like been in a fight with your spouse or or a significant other and like you're both of you are like not talking to each other i know i'm talking to somebody so some of y'all go for days some of y'all like came to church right now and you're awkward because you haven't talked to each other since like saturday morning what does it mean to be a leader in that situation it means to humble yourself to lay your pride aside okay If you're single, I wonder if this describes your friendships. Are you encouraging one another and holding one another accountable? Or are you tempting one another and pulling each other into sin? This is what I love about the fact that, this is what I love, why I love the fact that we included in our 31-day journey that many of you are on, the rhythm of community and hospitality. Like we've put it out there that as you're reading through the Psalms and you're fasting on Wednesdays and you're praying that you wouldn't do this alone. We've even suggested, hey, in the absence of small groups in this season, would you consider breaking your fast with a friend? And just this week, I, I was texting a few folks. I've been hearing great things. Uh, Jamila and I are in Dublin, and we've been able to hang out with David and Marie, who are also in Dublin. It's been a beautiful time. And I got a text this week from a few folks, but uh, one of the standouts, Colin, was just sharing how him and Carolyn and Patrick and Kiara are kind of meeting together after they break their fast. They're praying, and they're talking about what God is doing in their life, like friendship, fellowship, community. We were created for relationships, and though sin distorts them and Satan attacks them, good marriages and good friendships help us serve the Lord. Amen? I want to move to my final task, and that's to talk about God's original design for marriage. We can't skip this part of the text. We can't skip womanhood. We can't skip marriage. And I know we have a lot of single folks in here, but this is not time to like turn off or to feel a certain way. This is time to lean in to see God's good design. 
don't want you to feel less than. We have the whole, we have the whole counsel of God. We see Jesus was single, although some would suggest he had the most needy bride in history. Right, but we also see Jesus walked this earth. We see Paul talking about singleness, right? So I don't want you to feel missing, but nonetheless, this text is ultimately about a marriage. And what's really fascinating about this text is that God created us for relationships, right? And in creating us for relationships, the first relationship that he creates is not a friendship, it's not a roommate. It's not a mother or a father or a sister or a brother or a son or a daughter. It is a husband and a wife. And so what I want to do is I want to give five observations from the text regarding God's original design for marriage. And like I said, I could be here all day, but I'm not. We're coming to a conclusion, so never fear. Um, one day we're going to spend a lot longer on marriage, but... Here, here are the five observations. Are you ready? Hey Amen. We got one person ready. <laughs> Observation number one. With regards to sexuality, the garden reveals a heterosexual union. Right? We can't shrink back from it. We can't hide from it. This is God's original good design. We see male and we see female. Number two, with regard to numbers, the garden reveals a monogamous union. Sorry, Cam Newton. I don't know if some of you saw that podcast, but Cam Newton was talking about how David had multiple wives and Solomon had multiple wives is implying that somehow the scripture is okay with that. You're not reading your Bible because if you read about those times, it was because of that disobedience that the kingdom is disrupted and destroyed and there's idolatry. The scripture will tell you how it is, but won't condone it. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I love about the Bible. The Bible is full of imperfect, sinful people who need God. Like there's not just trying to, here's the perfect prophet. No. You know what I mean? Here's the perfect king. Yeah, David had a heart after God, but David had problems. And the scripture tells it. Anyway, I've got to get off my sermon. <laughs> Heterosexual, monogamous. And, and, and let's go back to the story for a moment for these final three. Once Adam realized what God already knew, <laughs> amen, he's lonely, God put him in a deep sleep. I feel like I need to pray that prayer over some of our singles. Y'all just need to go to bed. <laughs> Total side note, it's not from the Bible, it's my own joke, but nonetheless, y'all need a deep sleep, man. Go to sleep. Okay, moving on. Uh, and then our translation says rib. But the point of the Hebrew is to emphasize that woman was from his side. It's not a sappy thing. It's actually the point of the Hebrew text. Like if she had been taken from his feet, some could argue for a symbol, like a symbolism of subservience. If she had been taken from his head, some could argue for the symbolism of, do of her dominance. And yet the story reveals God creating woman and wife from her husband's side. Right? And she's from, she's the first creation that comes from, she's not from the dirt, from the side. She's the same substance as Adam, equal dignity image of God. 
And what's really interesting, she will come from Adam and then the rest of us will come from her. With that in mind, not only is the original design for marriage heterosexual and monogamous in the story, but marriage is a side-by-side partnership. Amen? You see, a successful partnership always has a shared vision. Amen? All the singles are like, well, you know, we can... And the same direction. To be married is to be moving in the same purpose, same calling, same mission, same worship. Now, you might be asking yourself, how is it possible for two different paths to align? Well, when your priority is to help each other serve the Lord. Y'all see that? Like, if your priority is, is sexual fulfillment... If your priority is, 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 is social status, if, if your pi- priority is financial upgrade, if your priority is self-esteem, if your priority is to solve your loneliness, but if your priority, first and foremost, and don't get me wrong, a good marriage should do those things, okay? But if you prioritize that we are called together because we're called to help each other serve the Lord, then you can see how two different directions can lay down their selfish ambitions and move to something that is bigger and greater than just their own personal needs. Sin distorts. (laughs) I'm one of the most selfish people in here sometimes, so trust me, I'm not acting like I have it all made. But I'm just trying to show you the original intention. You see that? And even when the marriage is going all bad even that is sanctifying (laughs) amen like isn't that sanctified like when things aren't right like that's sanctifying like when it's not going your way (laughs) right like that's pulling on your selfishness that's causing you to look more like Jesus even when the marriage is in a bad space and, and you feel like it's all someone else's fault you can still feel the Holy Spirit pulling you closer to Christ helping you look more like Jesus teaching you to forgive teaching you patience the fruit of the spirit are y'all with me and so we see marriage is a side-by-side partnership but you know what else marriage is a face-to-face companionship i love this in the scripture that even though eve comes from his side she will she will ultimately be brought face to face right and it's actually you see that in a wedding right they'll go and stand side by side and you bring them up and you have them turn and look face to face um we can't forget and it, can I just say this, and I didn't say this in the first part, but we can't run from some of the wedding traditions. I think, you know, Christians, we're kind of doing our thing now. You know, I want to be a little bit different, do it unique. But we can't lose the beauty of the wedding tradition. I'm not, I'm not being legalistic about it. Like, if you want to go have it at a golf course, I mean, do that. But I'm just saying there are just some beautiful aspects of it. Like, we can't turn from the beauty of God's intention. And we use weddings to remind people. Are you with me? And so we see that they're face-to-face in companionship. She is same substance, which gives her equal dignity, equal value, equal worth. And though they are side-by-side in mission and ministry, they are face-to-face in intimacy, in love, 
care and communication. A beautiful picture of God's original design for marriage is face to face and side by side. Amen? And finally, marriage is a lifelong covenant. Notice it's not a contract. If it were a contract, it would assume, if it were a contract, it would like assume an exchange like for goods and services, right? And so as long as I give you what you want and you give me what I want, we are in good standing. If it was a contract, there would be loopholes to get out. Now, can I just say this? I am not advocating that those would, that people would suffer abuse. I think there are definitely times to get out of a marriage. But I'm just talking about in general, in a culture that has downgraded and downplayed marriage. Are you with me on that? I want to be very clear. Like, I'm not saying suffer abuse or stay in a situation in which there's a threat to your life, there's danger, there's... You, you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. I have no problem sitting down with somebody and say, hey, let's, let's get out of this as a pastor. That means divorce, separation, let's go. I know somebody might not like that, but I'm just saying there are some nuances. But, but marriage is a lifelong covenant. And let me, let me say this. It, it's not a contract. It's not an exchange. There's not loopholes, escape clauses. On the contrary, when Adam sees Eve, he can't contain himself. It's like love at first sight for him. And God set it up perfectly because he had just been seeing animals all day. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Like all day, like inspecting and naming. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh my goodness. You like me, but you're not like me. What's up? Where you from? Your rib. No, I'm kidding. I don't know, I imagine it was, maybe, maybe it wasn't like that. But it's, but, but it's love at first sight. And so here's, here's what happens. What we see in the Hebrew, there's a break and it's a song or a poem. Like literally Adam, this is like where you get the first vows. Adam makes a vow. He, he sings a song. You know what he says to her? He says, basically, a part of me is missing and it's you. Like literally, literally. And I was like, oh, this is getting really sappy in here. But literally, he, God took something from me and then he gave it back. And so that's what's calling me to you. And then he makes a vow. He says, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Did you know that's where we get in weakness and strength? And sickness and health, right? Bone is strength. Flesh is weakness. Till death do us part. I want you to think about it. They were quite literally one flesh. Right? So, so to abuse your spouse would be to, 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 to hurt yourself. To harm your spouse would be to mutilate yourself. To divorce was unthinkable in the garden. How could they ever leave each other? They were one flesh. If divorce was an option, then cutting off your own limb was an option. It was unthinkable. Now sin distorts and Satan attacks. But I want you to see the original design. Are you with me? And so... 
I want to close with this statement. As image bearers called to reflect God on the earth, one of the primary purposes for our relationships is to help us what? Serve the Lord. And so as we get ready to respond, and you can respond however you want. You can stand, you can sit, you can shout, you can cry, you can be quiet. I just want you to look at your relationships. To you look at your friendships. If you're, if you're single, if you're married, look at your marriage. Or if you're married, you can look at your friendships. But I want you to think about it. Like, am I helping them serve the Lord? Are they helping me to serve the Lord? Is that a primary, is that a primary calling in this space? And as you reflect, I want to give you one final thing to reflect on is I want you to reflect on the ministry of Christ. Do you know what Christ came to do? Sin separated us from our maker. Sin caused a, a gap. And where we once enjoyed a beautiful relationship with our creator, sin destroyed. And so Christ comes and on the cross, he puts your sin upon himself and he's punished for our sin. And on the cross, what you're seeing in Christ is the ministry of reconciliation. Y'all hear that? You know what that means? On the cross, Christ is taking what was separate and bringing it together again. You and God, sin, distance, justifiably so. And yet Christ takes what sin separated and brings it back together. And can I just say this? Maybe some of you feel distant from the Lord. I want you to know that Christ has brought you near. Some of you might be in here today and you've just felt like you've sinned and you just feel so far. I want you to know that in Christ, he's been punished on your behalf. There's no condemnation that God has fully accepted you in Jesus. Like that distance can leave because in Christ, he has destroyed that. And the only distance is you. You're keeping that up. But I also want you to know that there's some of you in here that love Jesus, but you hate your brother. Or you love Jesus, but you carry grudges. You love Jesus, but you're struggling to find hope in the community that has hurt you. Maybe Inspired Church has hurt you. But I want you to remember the ministry of reconciliation of the cross. And I want you to process the beauty of our Savior. And those sin distorts and Satan attacks. Christ has brought together what sin and Satan has tried to destroy. And though we will struggle until we are on the other side, our struggle and our tension is to be a church that looks like Jesus. Amen? You know, even this week, maybe consider if you haven't yet or you have been, consider, you know, breaking your fast if you're a part of the rhythms of life with, with some friends. And, you know, we always get together and laugh, and, but maybe during that time, and no one's asking to make the whole night so, you know, extremely churchy, um, but just what does it look like to ask questions about, hey, how are you doing spiritually? 
What does it look like to sit together and pray together and say, hey, like, where, what are your biggest fears? You know, how can we help you, you know? Um, that's my prayer. And my prayer is that we would, we would be motivated, not for selfishness, but just to look like Jesus, the ultimate reconciler, right? And so, Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I pray if there's anyone in this room that feels distant from God, there's anyone in this room that feels like they, ha- they don't have a relationship with God. I, f- I pray that they would see Jesus and that they would put their faith. In other words, that they would trust the story is true. That they would trust that Jesus put on flesh, walked this earth a perfect life. And he died on the cross and on the cross he suffered for our sins. He was punished for our sins so that we can be made reconciled back to God again. And so I pray if there's anyone in this room that feels far from God, that they would see that in the story of Jesus, they have been made close. They've been forgiven. They have been been reconnected to their creator. And I pray the rest of us that know that truth would live like we know that truth. I pray for the rest of us that we know that truth, we believe that truth, that that belief and that knowledge would come out in action with our relationships. So Lord, will you continue to build and create your church for your glory in this city and in the bay. Lord, we love you. We honor you. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. You are so faithful. You are the one who reconciles us back to the Father and back to each other. Thank you for your word. I pray a blessing over all those that are in this space. Be with us, God. As we leave this place, may we not leave your presence. Go with us, Holy Spirit. Guide us this week. Bring us back, Lord, to give you all honor and glory. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen and amen. God bless you, 11 a.m. Have a wonderful Sunday.